times into good times with your host jay taylor this hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain now here's your host jay taylor welcome to turning hard times into good times i am your host jay taylor i'm also the author of a newsletter called jay taylor's gold energy and tech stocks and my company taylor hard money advisors is in partnership with roger wiegand who publishes trader tracks and chen lin who publishes what is chen buying what is chen selling we do have a special offer for you to try these newsletters for a first time, a special introductory offer, and you can learn about that by calling Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or call or go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, and get all the information you need on our special introductory trial subscriptions. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and telling your friends also about it. Uh, because of that, we are the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel, and our numbers just keep on growing. It's very, very gratifying to know that somewhere along the line, people are finding what we are offering. Uh, our special guests and our company guests are really very worthwhile. So um, it is uh, a very, very gratifying to see more and more people listening to this show. Of course, we also want to thank our sponsors for making the show financially viable. And as we end this uh, summer season, we will begin the fall season next Tuesday. Uh, the sponsors for the first hour of our summer season have been Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Sullivan Gold Corp, Dasha Capital, Richfield Ventures, Golden Minerals, Clifton Star, Silvercrest Mines, Duncan Park Holdings, and Swiss America. Several years ago, after I gave a speech at a uh, conference in New York, uh, about the growing instability of our financial system, I warned about the potential risk of another Great Depression, a deflationary depression. That seemed to me at the time to be a very great risk, and it still does, quite frankly. But following my talk, a fund manager came up to me, a lady fund manager, and she said, Jay, I'm so glad you said what you did because it's exactly what's on my mind. I have believed that the biggest issue that we're facing now as I try to figure out how to invest my clients' money is whether we are going to face some sort of a hyperinflationary resolution to the problems, to the financial instability, or whether we're going to have a deflationary depression. Well, I do agree with that fund manager. I think that that is the most important issue from a macroeconomic perspective. It is the biggest issue, I think, that you need to keep in mind as we go ahead and uh, form your investment decisions. If we are heading towards a hyperinflation, then tangible assets of all kinds will be worth owning, and even own, having some debt to finance those actually in some ways makes some sense because the paper currency will become worthless, the debts you owe will become worthless, and yet the assets that you use to buy that 
use that debt to buy with will become more and more valuable. I'm not recommending taking on debt by any means, but at least in theory, if we head into a hyperinflation, that's the mindset. Stuff of all kinds should do very well. On the other hand, if, uh, you, if we head into a deflationary depression, uh, your choices are quite a bit more limited. Um, we could see possibly the paper money increase in value, that is money under your mattress could increase in its purchasing power as it did in the 1930s. At least in theory that's possible. Sort of hard for us to, to fathom that right now because we've only seen inflation since we've gone off the gold standard. Uh, but one thing we do know that does very well in both hyperinflation and deflationary environments is gold. It's the only proven place to put your money under both environments. And I might also add that in a deflationary environment, gold mining shares do exceedingly well because the real price of gold rises relative to the cost of getting it out. That has been true, as Bob Hoy has pointed out, uh, over the last 300 years in five previous major credit contraction events. Well, our special guest today for the third time since we began this show is none other than Ian Gordon. We began the show back in March 2009. Ian was one of our earlier uh, earlier special guests, and Ian is an avowed deflationary uh, deflationist. He believes that we are inevitably heading towards a deflationary depression. And I would welcome you to give a call in for Ian. You can feel free to call as many of you probably believe the opposite that we're heading towards a hyperinflationary environment. So call in with your questions and challenges for Ian Gordon. Call 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Ian will be with us at about 3.40 uh, Eastern Time today, uh, and he will be with us into the second hour of today's show, too, probably at least for a half an hour into the second hour of today's show. But before we get to Ian, we will also be talking to a couple of gold mining companies that I think are very much worth keeping an eye on. In just a couple of minutes, I'll be talking to Mike Hoffman. He's the president of Crocodile Gold. That's an up-and-coming gold producer in Australia. And then following Mr. Hoffman, I will be talking to Caroline Arsenault. She is of Solid and Gold Corporation, another sponsor of this show, another company that's doing very, very well as it evolves towards, uh, towards gold production. And after, Ian, uh, after we finish talking to Ian, uh, he will no doubt uh, provide a very convincing case for deflation. Well, we're going to then talk to Scott Drever. He's the president and CEO of Silvercrest Mines. And that's a new gold and silver mining company in Mexico that I think is also so very worthwhile keeping an eye on. Finally, at the end of the show, I will have some closing thoughts on the gold and equity markets. And um, if available, I'm hoping that either or both of my partners, Roger Wiegand and Chen Lin, can join me for some of their thoughts as we close out today's show. In any event, we have a huge amount of ground to cover, so I am going to go on to commercial break right now, and then I'll be right back with Mike Hoffman of Crocodile Gold. Don't go away. I'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. 
Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit at www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A capital.com. Solidan Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.solidan.com to learn more when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network welcome to the human race some kind of love and ride i'll be sliding down i'll be gliding down try not to try too hard it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, gold is on a tear. We are having the bull market of a lifetime in the yellow metal. But not only is the price of going up, uh, price of gold rising in nominal terms, it is rising even more dramatically in its purchasing power. Gold is rising relative to other commodities like oil and gas and copper and base metals and relative to materials in general. And in many instances, it's rising relative to the cost of labor, the cost of getting the gold out of the ground. All this is good news for gold mining companies, which is why I am especially happy to have gold mining companies primarily as the sponsors to this show. Not only are the large gold mining companies starting to show very robust profits, but they are, there are a number of new junior mining companies that are evolving into production. And one of the things I like about the new junior producers is that unlike the major gold mining companies, a lot of these companies have very, very considerable exploration potential, a potential to grow the company from internal, internally generated cash flow. Uh, and one such company is 
Crocodile Gold Mine, uh, Crocodile Gold Corp. It is a company that has been a sponsor to this show uh, for a while now, and is also a company that I've recommended to my subscribers in Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And again, what I like about this company is its internal or its organic growth potential. Crocodile trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol CRK, and on the over-the-counter in the United States under CROCF. There are 203.4 million shares outstanding. The stock has recently been trading at $1.15 to $1.20 in that range. That gives it a market cap of around $240 or $250 million. Well, I'm really pleased to have Mike Hoffman, the president of the company, with me again. Welcome, Mike, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thanks very much, Jay, for having me on the show again. Well, it's really good to catch up with you, and what's really fascinating about your company is that you are a new producer that are ironing out the bugs, and I might... I should say ironing out the bugs in your new production facility. I might just mention for the benefit of investors who are not that familiar with gold mining, and I think, Mike, we have a lot of new people that are starting to look at gold mining because it is doing so well. Uh, people need to be reminded that when new mines start up, there are always, almost always, inevitably hiccups and problems along the way. And you had a few, Mike, to start with uh, in Australia with your new uh, with your new gold mine there, or your uh, the mine that you put back into production. But I'm very pleased to to say the way it looks to me, it, things are really improving on the operations front. Would you like to uh, talk a little bit about that? Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, we started up a processing facility that had been shut down over a year and started up some new mines. And, uh, you know, in, in the spring of this year, we, we had some issues uh, basically uh, getting the recovery to where it should be. And I had a, a number of mechanical issues with the mill that uh, we basically spent a lot of uh, uh, capital and, and spent a lot of money uh, repairing the mill to where it should be. And, uh, you know, I'm really pleased to say since June, we've been averaging about 8,000 ounces a month. Uh, the recovery is over 90%. Uh, the mill availability is over 95%. And what I think potential investors should focus on here is that, you know, look for steady improvement from us. Uh, you know, I think we're fairly confident that this month we should be uh, closer to 9,000 ounces than the 8,000 ounces. Um, we might even, you know, get up to over 93% recovery. So every every extra ounce we produce is going to help lower our cash cost. But the real crown jewel is next uh, mid-next year we bring Cosmo Underground online, and that will uh, be annualized production of about 100,000 ounces a year at sub-500 U.S. cash costs. So that is the crown jewel. That's that's what we're working towards. Um, everything's on track. But in the meantime, you know, we're concentrating on, on improving the operation, dropping the cash cost, and obviously taking advantage of this uh, good gold uh, market. Uh, we were in the Denver Gold Show last week. It's pretty exciting listening to some of the stories. Um, I think we're a little more unique compared to some of the juniors in that we are producing, and but we still have that expiration upside, which should give a lot of leverage as gold prices rise. Well, that is really, as, as I said in my preliminary remarks, that's exactly why I like uh, your company and some other juniors that are starting to get into production. But, you know, I look at one, there's one company that I've followed that has gone from, I don't know, five bucks up to 27 or something like that. They're an American producer. And in my mind, uh, I see Crocodile having that kind of enormous exploration potential, the potential to, to really uh, to grow organically and not have to go out and acquire companies and issue a lot of shares or spend a lot of money, but you have some extremely exciting exploration uh, prospects. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we've, we've got a huge land position, 2,500 square kilometers. Uh, we've got 5 million ounces of resource on our properties, and we believe we have the potential for significantly more. 
excuse me, we've spent a lot of uh, money uh, drilling over the last year. I'd expect to see a pretty good increase in our resource at year end. But uh, one of the areas we're really excited, uh, and, it, and it's more recent, is we've had a chance to review a lot of the historical information on the Pine Creek Union Reef area, and it's right adjacent to our uh, production facility at Union Reef. And what I like about this is we're not going to have the ore haulage costs, which is costing us about $125 an ounce. And some of these uh, pits that we'll be mining um, have very low strip ratios, uh, very attractive financially. And we're actively looking to permit uh, one or more of these pits, uh, and we hope to bring one of them in production by year end. So I think that's really going to help uh, lower cash cost, um, gives us another uh, area we can produce from. And, and the big thing is we just want to continue to uh, maximize production and obviously uh, keep those cash costs down so we're, uh, we're profitable. Right. So you're saying the Union Reefs and the Pine Creek are, are basically open pit prospects? Yeah, there's <laughs> there could be uh, underground potential in the future, but uh, the big thing there, I think we'd have to do more drilling. Uh, a number of these deposits are, are still remain open to depth. Um, it, the big thing there is we just we just have to do more drilling. I think uh, there's a few. Uh, one prospect in particular is called Cross Course, and it's right adjacent to our mill. They had mined 700,000 ounces out of it. Anglo did, uh, ending in 2003. And what really surprised us, there were some very good widths and grades uh, just below the pit that hadn't been followed up. And, and we see that as a Cosmo-style target. And, you know, Cosmo right now, we've got 1.3 million ounces underground. If it's anywhere close to that, I mean, that, that could be a real uh, company changer. Uh, obviously, we have to drill. There's no guarantees anything happens. But, uh, you know, the big thing is it's, uh, you know, I think there's still lots of exciting potential um, I'd say, uh, you know, take a look at our website, www.crockgold.com. Uh, I think there's a little more details on some of these various deposits, and I'd encourage, uh, you know, some of the investors to take a look at that. Well, absolutely. I was going to say that. Uh, it's crockgold.com, right? C-R-O-C-G-O-L-D.com. Right. And, and uh, I just would like to ask you, Mike, you said that your hauling costs are now about $125 an ounce, and even so, you're suggesting that you'll be able to get down somewhere below $500 an ounce cash cost? Well, or yeah. Is that, I, is that assuming the sort of lower cost uh, from some of these new uh, sources? Yeah, and, and, and just not to mislead anybody, it, it's specifically the Cosmo deposit. Um, you know, because it's a uh, higher grade uh, bulk tonnage underground, even though with, with the uh, haulage cost, we should be able to get it below $500 an ounce. Um, you know, and and it's that specific deposit. Some of the other deposits are, you know, the cash cost have have been a little bit higher, um, but you know, grade is king. So you know, the higher the grade, lower cash cost. Well, it sure is uh, is is fairly simple in broad terms. Back of the envelope, you can look at gold at price just under around thirteen hundred dollars an ounce now, and looking at a cash cost of five hundred, you can do the arithmetic and see that these can be very very profitable mines. And again, I think what I like about Crocodile Gold is the organic growth potential, Mike. And uh, well, I'm re- I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add before we uh, b- before we take a break for a commercial. But uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before we say goodbye until the next time? Well, I, I'd encourage everybody to, you know, we've been putting out production updates every month. Uh, what I'd expect uh, or what people should expect to see is uh, for us to continue what we've been doing and uh, hopefully uh, continue to improve. And, uh, you know, we're actively trying to reduce those cash costs. I think, you know, as they uh, go lower and lower and the production keeps on going up, I think that's, uh, you know, going to make us a little more attractive. 
Uh, we produce 50,000 ounces year to date. Our target is 80. <laughs> excuse me, 85. We feel we should produce close to 9,000 ounces this month. So that leaves 25,000 ounces the last three months. I don't see any reason why we can't make that uh, that target. Well, fantastic, Mike. Thank you again for being with us, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime for another update, and I'm expecting it probably will be a pleasant one. You never know for sure. Life is uncertain, but you certainly are doing a good job of ironing out the bugs and getting things going in the right direction. Thank you very much. Folks, don't go away because we'll be right back with another exciting new junior gold mining company, namely Solidan Gold Corporation. Don't go away. We'll be right back. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.com. CA for further information. Solidan Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.solidan.com to learn more. Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A-Capital.com. 
The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Mill Rock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Mill Rock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Mill Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. to turning hard times into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I have with me Carolyn Ars- uh, Arsenault. She is the manager of investor relations for Solid and Gold Corp. Solid and Gold Corp trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol SUE, SUE. Uh, and on the over-the-counter market in the United States under the symbol SDDF, S-triple-D-F. Uh, last I looked, there was about 156 million shares outstanding, recently trading at about $1.14 in Canadian money. Uh, welcome, Carolyn, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you very much, Jay. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, I, I know we've had you on before, but that's been quite a while ago. That is, we've had a, a, your company on before. Uh, if you could maybe refresh our memory a little bit uh, in terms of your flagship property. You have one in Peru. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Of course, yeah. The, the last time you had us on the show was, I think, at the end of July, and we've had a lot of you know, significant things happen in the company since then. And uh, you know, just to go back a little bit, I mean, we are developing the – it's a gold-focused project in northern Peru um, in the district of uh, Cajamarca. And um, we are developing the Shawindo Gold Project. So we currently have, you know, a resource of 1.1 million ounces. Um, we are, are, we have a feasibility study currently underway, and uh, we are are developing this project with the goal of uh, being a producer by mid 2012. So really, just um, fast tracking this project to production. Uh, that's very good. And I know that uh, during 2009, uh, one of the main accomplishments that, that your company accomplished was. Uh, uh, was to complete a scoping study. Could you talk a little bit about that? Of course, yeah. So in, uh, we hired AMEC, uh, an engineering firm, a renowned engineering firm, to do the preliminary assessment, and that was completed in December of 2009. And that was taking into account a, resor- a resource from 2002. So basically, um, you know, very little drilling had been done, you know, since 2002. Um, so 
it was based on a 2002 resource, and it considered, you know, a yearly production of 105,000 ounces of gold, uh, cash cost of, of $403, um, and uh, and it was a very very robust economics, a very good product, very good um, economics for that preliminary assessment. And now what we're doing is, uh, since then we've undertaken, you know, a very large exploration program that started uh, just at the end of July. And uh, we're undertaking also a feasibility study right now to follow up on that, and that should be completed in the in Q1 of 2011. And that will include a lot of the drilling that we're doing now. So with that feasibility study, we're doing uh, an updated resource estimate, and that new resource estimate will be considered in the in the feasibility study coming up. So we expect all those uh, all the economics of the project to to really improve with this uh, additional drilling. Okay, so if the preliminary economics suggested 105,000 ounces a year, uh, 1.1 million ounces, would that give you something like an eight, nine, ten-year mine life based on the early, on the preliminary economics, or what sort of mine life do you expect you can have based yeah, on what you can talk about right now? Of course, I can give you, you know, provide some guidance. Uh, the preliminary assessment considered a mine life of about um, seven years, um, and we expect with this additional drilling. Um, you know, just to go back a little bit, in, you know, in Peru, there's there's uh, two two drilling permits that you can get. So really, there's a, a Category One permit, which is it limits you to about you know 20 drill pads and about 5,000 meters um, for the for that first drilling permit. And the, the secondary drilling permit is really an unlimited uh, amount of drilling on the property. And that's what we're undertaking now, and that's what will be uh, included in this uh, this feasibility that we're doing now. So with that with that added drilling. Uh, we feel comfortable, you know, uh, providing guidance that we will uh, double the um, uh, oxide resource of the property, so from 1.1 to, you know, approximately 2 million with this updated resource, and that's what will be considered in the feasibility study. So, so we do expect um, um, those numbers to improve. So the the annual production, uh, we're, we are doing the feasibility at 150,000 ounces from 105,000 um, of annual production. We expect, you know, the cash cost. To, to go down in the, the mid-300 uh, range. Wow. Um, so those are the kind of, of numbers that, that we, we are expecting with the, the feasibility. Well, there's certainly no, uh, no question that if, uh, if those kind of numbers evolve, in fact, that it will be one of the most profitable and one of the most low-cost low gold mines. So uh, with the $1,300 today, I know the gold price uh, rose above $1,300, and the last I looked, it was sticking above $1,300. So if you're Mid $300, the listeners can do uh, a little bit of simple arithmetic, uh, multiply the difference there, the cash margin times the 150,000 ounces. And again, uh, as Caroline is saying, that the company is now in a feasibility study now. We, uh, these are the goals and the targets. Time will tell whether uh, feasibility studies will come out with those kind of numbers or not. But uh, I would say, Caroline, that it looks like you've got a very, a very potentially a very profitable mining uh, project down there in Peru. That's right, and actually, you know, just to keep in mind, this is really just a snapshot in time. I mean, the property since 1992 has only had 40,000 meters of drilling conducted on it, and just to give you an idea of, of scale here, we're, we're doing a 30,000-meter campaign, you know, as we speak now, which will be completed by the end of the year, so we're doing almost 100% of all the drilling that's been done since 1992, so, so you know, we expect that to have a, a very positive effect on our, our resource. So you will be having um, a lot of drill results, I suppose, coming out over the next number of weeks. 
That's right. We actually issued our first uh, first batch of drill results last Monday. Um, so the first 14 holes intersected uh, mineral ore, and we also identified very significant extensions to our, our four-kilometer main uh, our main corridor, uh, four-kilometer corridor. So you know, representing a almost a 60% extension to that to that strike length, which in a lot of those areas have never been explored. So so there's a lot of opportunity, you know, extending off from that main corridor. And also, we've identified some, you know, significant north corridor, south corridor. So there's a lot of potential here outside of that, just that main mineral area, to uh, to find additional um, resources. So. Okay, you're talking about an oxide uh, deposit of a po potentially uh, your current drill program potentially taking it up to two over two million ounces. But so we're talking about an open pit heap leach operation here. Is that the is that the the project? That's correct. Yeah, just a, a very simple process. It's a it, it, this is a, a mineral deposit out, that outcrops on surface, so it's very um, easy to mine. So the the average depth of the oxides are about 110 meters, so very shallow, and it's a very simple process. So just a open pit heap leach. Um, it, it actually leaches very quickly and very well. We're getting you know 80% plus recoveries. And 80% of that 80%, we you know leaches in the first 14 days. So excellent leach kinetics there, and um, very simple uh, short circuit. Yeah, that is very rapid. I'm wondering if you could just give our, our listeners a sense. You say that the strike length of the known gold-bearing structure is four kilometers now, or you've added to the four kilometers? We've basically added to the four kilometers. So the so right now we're at, we're at four kilometers of you know defined. A mineral um, corridor here, and we've we've identified an 800 meter extension to the southeast. Uh, has never been drilled before, so it's just a you know a, a um, geochemical anomaly at the moment. But what's significant there is that 900 um, additional uh, meters are within a minerals uh, a zone that has been. Um, that has gold in it. So, so that 800 meter extension off of that area, you know, we're fairly confident that will will um, will be a nice extension. But just we need to just follow that up with drilling, and also to the northwest, so the opposite end of the corridor, uh, another 1600 meter um, anomaly there, which has never been tested. So, so extending both ends of the corridor. So it is an additional. So it's a 60% additional strike length to the wow. to the to the four kilometer we have now. Okay, one more question for you, just to try to put this potential in perspective, if I could, Caroline. You're looking at uh, your current uh, two point, uh, let's say two, let's say two million ounces, if you're successful in, in gaining what you hope to do with the current drill program. How much of that total strike length then would have been would have been uh, in at that sort of calculation? Well, essentially, right now uh, we have 1.1 million in the oxides alone, and that's on the main mineral corridor. Um, there's, you know, a lot of most of that two million ounces that we are we are estimating will come from that four-kilometer strike length. So, okay. so really, uh, between now and the end of say the end of October, all the drilling that we do up until then will be included in the updated resource, and we expect that to be ready um, in in December or January of 2011. And then from you know from the end of October on until the you know ongoing until the end of the year, um, at that point we'll do more of the you know. Uh, drilling at depth, we'll drill in those uh, potential extensions, the north corridor, south corridor, and really kind of uh, um, try and find out the, the full potential here. And production goal is 2012. Early, late, when? Uh, we're expecting to start, uh, you know, 
production, uh, construction of the mine uh, sometime next year, and probably uh, mid to end of 2012 is our is our goal to be uh, uh, in production. Okay, so you this is your flagship property. You do have some other properties. If you could just take a minute, perhaps, and, and maybe outline a, a highlight uh, one or two of them. Yes, I mean we we basically have two uh, two assets. So we we have this Shawindo Gold project in northern Peru. Our other asset is in Quebec in Val d'Or called the East Sullivan property. Um, it's a it's a fairly large uh, land package. Um, currently, our focus is really on this on the Shawindo Gold project in Peru. So really, our all our focus is is on this project and. And uh, but the Sullivan property is property is certainly you know will certainly be subject to future exploration. Okay, well that's really good. Is there anything else you might want to add before we say goodbye until the next time? Well, uh, I mean we you know we brought on a new management team last April with you know Peter Tagliamonte who's got an excellent track record and I think when you look at uh, you know any company you want to pay attention to the people who have been successful in the past and so um, I think uh, we have a you know definitely the team capable to bring this pro move this project forward and uh, you know we'll have lots of news coming out from now until the end of the year and into 2011 so uh, it'd be a great story to uh, to watch out for. Okay, and to watch out for it, uh, your website is what. Uh, our website is www.sullidan, and that's S-U-L-L-I-D-E-N.com, sullidan.com. Excellent. Thank you very much, Caroline, for being with us. Uh, folks, don't go away. Uh, we're going to have coming up uh, very quickly here my good friend Ian Gordon. You know, I've been telling people that we are in the bull market of a lifetime for gold mining shares. Sullivan is one example of one you should keep your eyes on. We talked to uh, uh, Crocodile earlier today. We're going to talk to uh, Silvercrest Mines, a, a gold and silver operation in Mexico later today. Uh, but the fundamentals, the reason that gold is looking so good to me, uh, is because we're looking at a credit contraction. We're looking at a world financial system that is in deep trouble. And our next guest, our special guest this week, is Ian Gordon. He's been with us before and uh, an old friend of mine. Uh, we're going to go to a commercial break right now, and then we're going to get on with Ian Gordon. And by the way, if any of you uh, would like to call in or send emails in, you're certainly welcome to do that. Uh, questions for Ian Gordon. So don't go away. You're going to be right back with Ian Gordon. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits 
deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its Goldfields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by whether the market's up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm here with one of my best friends, one of my longest-term friends in this business, uh, Ian Gordon. Ian uh, was a former uh, stockbroker, basically dealt with uh, institutions and with large uh, corporate accounts. He's a very... A very interesting, uh, I would say, very uh, insightful historian, 
amateur historian, but nonetheless, uh, you know, in the financial markets, that's a very rare thing to have people that also that understand the financial markets, understand how markets work, and also take a long-term view of history. Most of these guys you see on Wall Street these days and Bay Street or wherever, they're all sort of just, you know, playing with their blackberries, and their attention span is about, you know, 30 seconds or so. Well, Ian, um, you know, is a... a sort of a senior citizen, I guess I'm not out of line saying that, he's more or less my age, so he he has an ability to look back into history and to read and to think, and his attention span is very is very is very long and very detailed, and he does a lot of deep thinking. It isn't just impulse-driven behavior. Ian uses the the gray matter in his head, and he's gone back and looked at work, the work primarily uh, that I'm familiar with, that of Nikolai Kondratiev, that uh, uh, that uh, really look back at the major cycles, economic cycles, and if you look at those cycles, Ian has done some extraordinary work in terms of having that actual data going back to the civil, uh, back to the Revolutionary War, actually plotted. And his wonderful website, uh, you're going to want to have to go to see that and to look at all the, the the great things that are there because I think it's an education. A picture's worth a thousand words, and Ian has a number of pictures there. All of them are worth. A lot, and so you'll want to go there. Well, Ian, welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thank you, Jay. It's really great to have you here. I can remember it was 1998, sometime like that. I received this newsletter in the mail. It's a it's a blue newsletter, uh, and and uh, stapled onto it was an invitation for me to uh, exchange letters with you. Uh, you said if I liked your newsletter, would would you consider trading? And it was one of the best trades I've ever made because I have to tell uh, I have to tell my listeners that honestly, uh, you know, I'm here to try to sell my newsletter, but honestly, I think Ian I got the better part of that trade because Ian's uh, wisdom and his insights into the markets and what's going on have been uh, sort of the backbone of where I've been at my views of the markets. I'm not quite as firm as Ian is on the deflation side of things, but uh, but I'm I'm convinced that Ian has the basics as, as right as anybody I've seen. So, Ian, I'd like to start out by asking you, I know that you've told me um, that you believe that we are in one of the one of the greatest credit contractions in history, and that, in fact, you think this one is going to be more severe and that the pain is going to be considerably greater than that of the 1930s. Could you tell our listeners why you believe that to be true? Well, Jay, um, yeah, our money, and I think this is where most people don't really understand what our money is, and they think of it as a paper that the Federal Reserve uh, churns out uh, willy-nilly and uh, and therefore that, uh, if they can create enough of that paper, they're going to create inflation or even hyperinflation. But in, in fact, most of our money in most uh, Western nations is credit money. It's money in the form of credit. And, uh, and what that is, it's either in the form of um, uh, bank deposits or other promises to pay. In other words, uh, could consist of government treasury bills or bonds, you know, bank promises in the form of CDs or GICs, corporate promises in bonds or short-term debt, state and municipal bonds and notes, you know, mortgages, money market funds, bond funds. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. And that's really what our money is. And, and so what happens is... Uh, we have had a massive inflation of money in the in the credit money, not in the, in the paper money. P 
paper money is actually only about 4 to 5% of all the money circulating. The rest is all debt money. So we've had this massive inflation in the credit money. And if you look at any chart, and it goes on really throughout the Kondratiev cycle, uh, if we go back to the beginning of uh, this present Kondratiev or long wave cycle, it started in 1949. There was essentially no debt in the system. The only real debt that was in the system was the U.S. government debt because the U.S. government had uh, tried to uh, bail it, uh, the economy out of the Great Depression and had printed a lot of money during that Great Depression in its efforts to get the economy going again to no avail. And also then, the Second World War, uh, the U.S. had printed uh, uh, an amount of money or, or taken on a, a fairly significant amount of debt uh, through that process as well. And so the U.S. government in 1949 was really the only major debtor. All other debt had been essentially washed out of the system during the depression of the 30s. So credit, the credit bubble that had been expanded into 1929 uh, collapsed in the 30s into a credit deflation, a massive deflation. And then in 1949, uh, again, credit only begins very slowly. Why? Because uh, most people who had borrowed money had been bankrupted in the, in the Depression, whether it's individuals or corporations, and the banks had been bankrupted because the borrowers couldn't pay them back. So that uh, their banks didn't want to lend and people were very reluctant to borrow. And slowly that process of confidence uh, begins and as the uh, long wave or the Kondratiev wave starts to expand in the new cycle in the spring, you start to see an, a very slow increase in the debt that consumers and corporations take on. Um, and that debt really starts to expand at a very, very, very dramatic level in what I call the autumn of the cycle. And, and that, in our present cycle, began between 1980 and 82. So if you look at any debt chart, or you will see that the massive expansion, and I'm looking at one right now, I just happen to be writing a paper on this. Uh, the massive expansion occurs in uh, about 1982. For instance, if you were to look at, I'm just going to uh, look at this chart, but if you would look, look at um, uh, consumer debt in, um, you know, consumer debt, even in 1984, was only uh, it was less than $2 trillion. It reached a peak in 2008 in the third quarter of almost $14 trillion. Wow. Seven-fold increase. It's already now declining because now we've, got, we've reached the, the apex of the debt, and now debt is coming, being taken out of the system. So you have to ask yourself, how much of this debt is going to have to be taken out of the system so that the banks and the corporations and the consumers can basically uh, start the economy going again. Debt doesn't build an economy. 
um, it's credit. It's uh, sorry, it's savings. That's savings, right? Spills Ian, economy. let me just ask you then: How much you say we've gone from two trillion in consumer debt to fourteen trillion, and you say it's come back a bit now? How much have we seen it decline so far? Well, since that third quarter of two thousand and eight, we've seen half a trillion coming out of the consumer debt. Okay, I think so that, it's still I so think only another, half a trillion come out so far. Yeah, but another one we should look at is the U.S. financial sector debt, because that has absolutely gone ballistic. And uh, so, again, if you go to U.S. Uh, and so in 84, U.S. financial sector debt in 1984 was approximately $1 trillion. In the fourth quarter of 2008, it was $17.1 trillion. Wow. It's now gone... It's, $2.4 trillion has been uh, eradicated in the last 18 months of that financial sector debt. I think most of it courtesy of the Federal Reserve. Right. But, but, you know, so debt is being washed out of the system. So then you have to ask yourself, outside the government debt in the United States, there's probably $40 trillion of this debt, you know, in the, in the private sector, outside the government sector either in corporations, the financial sector, or, or in consumer debt. Right. $40 trillion. Well, how much of that is going to be washed out in this uh, debacle that we're going to see? I would say at a very minimum, a half, but I would suspect it's going to be something like substantially more, at least three quarters. So if it's three quarters, we've got to go from 40 to $10 trillion. And you can see the poor problems that the U.S. government and the Federal Reserve face in that kind of environment. You know, how do they push $30 trillion back into the economy? Yeah. Well, they seem to be um, – I don't know. I, you know, I frankly don't believe they're trying the right things to make it happen. Uh, let, me, uh, let me suggest this, Ian, uh, that – they could get an enormous amount of money into the hands. They could they could expand the money supply. They could expand debt potentially if they did what Dr. Robert McHugh suggests they should do, and that's roll taxes. You know, roll taxes back for the last three years. Just give everybody a big check for the uh, you know for the amount of money they gave the government. Get money into the hands of consumers, small people, little people, not just the Goldman Sachs of this world, or literally shower a helicopter money over the landscape. You mentioned a little while ago that a very small percentage of our money is really in paper money. Well, couldn't they just print trillions of dollars and literally shower them over the landscape of the United States and, and, uh, and start things up again? Well, they can't because, I mean, the, the fact is that, you know, our money is – is credit money, is debt money, okay? All the money that's there is debt. So, I mean, if they did create all this uh, money and shut it down, the debt still remains. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. And it's the debt unwinding, you know, that is, you know, that is now ongoing in the system that brings down the money supply. For instance, Bernanke, you know, uh, when he was um, not the chairman, but he was a Federal Reserve governor, he agreed with, uh, uh, you know, Friedman and Schultz, who sort of said that the last Great Depression was uh, caused by, you know, the Federal Reserve not printing enough money. Yeah. Okay. And he agreed with that. And, you know, but if we look, for instance, 
uh, the measure of money of money right now, Bernanke, uh, this is what he said, because I, I love this. Uh, I'm just going to quote it in full. Let me end my talk by abusing slightly my status as an official representative of the Federal Reserve. This is addressing uh, Friedman and Schultz. Um, I would like to say to Milton and Anna regarding the Great Depression, you're right. We did it. We're very sorry. But thanks to you, we won't do it again. But you will, Mr. And then I, I say, but you will, Mr. Bernanke, because do you know, Jay, that the M3 right now is down 7%. It's a negative 7%. Yeah. Money supply is crashing. Yeah. The last time we had the money supply down at those levels was in the 30s. So the money supply is, is dropping dramatically. And Bernanke says he wouldn't do it again, but he can't, he's powerless to do it. Because, see, what happens in a... In a deflate, in a in a, a depression, it's not the fact that you're cre- trying to create money to get you out of the depression. It's the depression itself that reduces the amount of money. The other thing is that you know when you have a credit money system, you have no velocity. It doesn't increase or effectively increase or decrease the velocity of your money. Right. Um, no, that's that's correct. And I'd like to come back and talk about that some more. We're we're going to go off to a commercial break now. We we want to really though sort of focus on the second half of this of our discussion here today, Ian, on the the real reasons. Uh, and I think you're touching on it now for sure. But I want to get into some more of the details as to why Mr. Bernanke, for all of his intentions of of being able to overcome these deflationary uh, problems, why he's unable to do it, and why does not a brilliant man like Mr. Bernanke understand it? Why can't he see it? I guess that's another question I'd like to ask you. We are going to go to a commercial break now, and when we come back, we really want to get into this inflation-deflation issue. Now, you are in the process of writing a paper, and I'm assuming it will be available to your paid subscribers sometime in the near in the near future, but perhaps you can give us a little preview of that when we come back. So uh, let me just see if I can get the engineer. Okay, let's go to break now. Uh, and we will be right back with Ian Gordon to pick up on this inflation-deflation discussion. Why Mr. Bernanke is really powerless, as Ian says, to, to really do anything about it. And we're going to explore that in just a minute, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Ian Gordon. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. 
Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.ca for further information. Soledin Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year highlighting a very positive and economical project and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.soledin.com to learn more. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by dasha capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk rare earth elements are used in many industries from aerospace and automotive to high tech and green tech dasha capital is listed on the tsx.v in toronto under the symbol dac and on the otcqx in the u.s under symbol dchaf please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more that's d-a-c-h-a capital.com voice america business network the bottom line in business Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Text stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, and I want to thank our sponsors uh, for this show, the second hour of our weekly show. I want to thank them also for making this uh, financially viable, this show. Sponsors for our second hour are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Sullivan Gold Corp., Dasha Capital, Richfield Ventures, Athabasca Uranium, Brigus Gold Corp., Everton Resources, Millrock Resources, Golden Hope Mines, and uh, Silvercrest Mines as well. So thanks to all of those folks uh, for being sponsors uh, for the summer season, which ends today. 
And in fact, next week we will start our uh, autumn season uh, with a new group of sponsors and a lot of very interesting companies coming your way. Well, we're back here with Ian Gordon, and I want to just pick up where we left off with Ian. Uh, Ian was talking about the inability of Mr. Bernanke to uh, to really do what he said he was going to do. He 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 said yes uh, to to Dr. Friedman, Milton Friedman. Uh, and Anna Schwartz said, yes, indeed, this, the Federal Reserve was wrong. The Federal Reserve was the cause of the Great Depression. And he said that they, they didn't print enough money fast enough. Well, you know, the Austrian School of Economics believes that, in fact, the Federal Reserve caused the Great Depression. It caused the bubble, which then resulted in the Depression. So the Federal Reserve was responsible, yes, indeed, but not in the way Mr. Bernanke uh, claims that he was. But, Ian, if we could just pick up again... Uh, you mentioned as we went to break that uh, that the M3 is declining some 7% now, in spite of the fact, in spite of this enormous amount of stimulus, enormous amount of money, you know, the Federal Reserve is going out and buying every, you know, buying mortgages, buying, they said they'd buy gold mines, they'd buy anything and everything to pump money into the system, but it's not working. Why? Well, because the debt is coming out faster than, than they can, uh, than push it back into the system. And the fact is that the, where they pushed most of their money is into the banks. And, the fa the, and again, the banks are too frightened to lend because they can see where a major portion of the lending has gone. The housing market is collapsing and, um, and, and also in the commercial uh, real estate market, that too is collapsing. So they can, they can see that this is happening. So they're not going to lend this money out and there are no really worthy borrowers out there, you know, who are who who are able to borrow money or who want to borrow money. I mean, right. people are people are getting out of debt, and debt mm -hmm. is coming out of the system. The money supply is collapsing. Something Bernanke promised he would never allow happen is happening. And right. there are several, you know, there are several other reasons to anticipate this deflation. Actually, we could go back to just one. Uh, based on my, you know, the study of history, the study of these long wave cycles. Okay. Every autumn of the long wave cycle has always uh, ended in a great speculative crash, and and that speculation has been fueled by a massive uh, infusion of of credit, and so that the even going back to 1837 when that crash occurred you had a deflationary depression that followed it. Go to 1873, you know, a big speculation built around the railways, the building of railways in the United States, and a huge amount of credit that was extended to the, the, the building of those operations and to the consumers and so on. When that crashed in 1873, we went into a deflationary depression. Debt got taken out of the system. And 29, of course, again, a major expansion of credit that started in, uh, during the First World War and in through the 1920s. When that credit bubble burst, we went into a deflationary depression. It's, you know, the problem is it's uh, the Federal Reserve in the 30s strove mightily to overcome the forces of deflation. But really what happens is its efforts are overwhelmed, and this is what's happening to poor Mr. Bernanke at this time, by events that followed the bursting of the debt bubble. Mm -hmm. in, in other words, it wasn't the contraction in the money supply that caused the depression, as Friedman and Schwartz would argue. Right. 
it, it, it was the depression that led to a reduction in the money supply. Right, right. Okay. And that is true, Ian, as I understand it, because the, the debt cannot be repaid. The people that, have, that are the creditors are demanding repayment. They demand that, that the debtors sell what they're able to sell to pay back as much as they can. There's a fear that sort of grips the market. But, it's, but that fear, uh, you know, as I was just saying on a, on a panel discussion here in St. John's where I've been a, a, a speaker, uh, it was, it's not just fear. It's fear based on fundamental problems in the financial structure. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, we're just this, Jay, I mean, it's just a simple thing. It's the debt stupid. You know, we wrote a paper saying that. There's just too much debt, too much money lent out to people who could never repay it. Right. And therefore, that puts pressure not merely on the on the banks, the, the creditors, but on the debtors as well. And right. so both are imploding right now. We, we, you know, I, I think the U.S. banking system, you know, we lost 140, the U.S. lost 140 banks in uh, 2009, and we're already about 130 banks have failed so far this year. Um, so all this is creating, you know, a massive deflationary aspect. You know, we, so money supply is crashing. That's an indication of deflation right there is a negative money supply. That's, you know, that's the measurement of inflation deflation. And you, the velocity of money has, is collapsing uh, because people aren't spending. People aren't pushing money out. They're trying to save. Now they know that things are how dire things are out there. Banks aren't lending. Um, then we have um, the consumer price index, uh, which, you know, basically measures prices is has already gone to a negative uh i think in 2007 and it's just above negative right now another measure of inflation uh and 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 so on mm -hmm. then asset prices and you know these big these big credit bubbles always lead to um massive inflationary prices in assets and so you get the real estate and the stock market. So, you know, the real estate market in the United States is down about 29%. Its value is down about 29% uh, from the peak in 2006. So real estate prices are down 29%. Commercial real estate, I believe, is down like 35% value. And then the stock market is down about $4 trillion dollars just in the in the general stock market. So all these asset values are, are, are dropping dramatically, which is another deflation. We're taking wealth away from people. Their right. ability to spend is being sharply curtailed by the fall in asset right. values. And then, um, you know, then the economy is already, I consider to be in a depression. Uh, the powers that be have never admitted to that. But you already uh, the the unemployment rate in the United States, the real unemployment rate, the rate that they won't report, but which John Williams does so well in his shadow statistics, is about sixteen percent. Yeah. And those kind of numbers tell me that you know we're we're in a depression. So the economy itself is deflating, and and then the final thing is you know other areas that are going to lead to deflation are things like retirement plans and pension plans you know they're very much underfunded yeah. and it, 
when it comes to retirement, many people will have meager pensions, which will be insufficient to cover their basic needs. Well, I definitely agree with you there. We had Professor uh, Kotlikoff on uh, this show some time ago. He was an advisor to the Clinton administration, and he talked about how the total amount of promises that the U.S. government has made to uh, for Social Security and Medicare is, if you run a present value on it, $202 trillion, Ian, and there's no way in the world that that can be financed. The U.S. government can't probably can't print that much money without destroying its currency. But here, getting to the issue of currency, and I want to focus on this. You, you mentioned John Williams. He's been on this show a couple of times. Uh, I, I have a very high regard for him and his work, as I know you do. You mentioned John's uh, money supply is very close to the MP, M3, is very close to the same kind of negative numbers that you're looking at. John makes the argument, though, and I just want to hear what you have to say about this. John makes the argument that the inflationary argument, and he takes a hyperinflation view of he thinks we're going to head for a hyperinflation and the reason he says is because the dollar is going to be destroyed and the United States is going to have to they're going to print enormous amounts of money the dollar will be destroyed and everything we import will go to the moon in cost you don't agree with that tell me why well I mean I don't agree with it because all the currencies of the world are uh, basically based on a, a credit money system so uh, some are not as bad in terms of the amount of debt that has been built into the economy. But, you know, I think the whole world monetary system, but it's not just the dollar. I think, I mean, look at the euro. Look at the members of the, uh, of the euro. Ireland, you know, Sp uh, Spain, Portugal, Greece. I mean, these are basket cases, okay? And so as the European... Are the European Monetary Union going to bail out these these countries and 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 effectively take on uh, massive amounts of debt as well? I think the whole world monetary system is going to collapse, as it did in the last depression. Okay, so I think we're going through the same kind of uh, collapse that we saw there. But I don't think the dollar is going to be the isolated collapse. And in fact, the dollar. You know, if it collapsed, I mean, um, what uh, what are people like Saudi Arabia and even here, uh, for us here in Canada going to demand for and payment for our oil? Um, so I don't think you can really see that. I think you know, again, what what Bernanke has to do is not you know the printing of money is is insignificant. What he has to do is somehow get the credit money system going again. He has to re reignite, which I see as an impossibility, the credit bubble. He, he, he has to get banks lending and he has to get people borrowing. It's that simple. Well, the old, the old adage that you can uh, lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can pump money into the system, and you know Greenspan did that, and that's what caused the tech bubble and then the housing bubble. Now they're pumping money into the system but the horse isn't drinking any water. He, you can't lend to people. The banks can't lend to people. I mean, Barney Frank would like to go out and pass laws that would force banks to lend, to make losing loans to comp to individuals and to companies. Uh, you, uh, individuals, as you pointed out, aren't going to borrow. Uh, if they're credit worthy, they don't want to borrow because they don't see any reason to right now. They probably have most everything they need anyway, and there's no reason to borrow. Uh, they have the money. Uh, it's the people that don't have the money that would like to borrow to have perhaps you know make ends meet in one way or another. But who wants to lend to them? So, 
I, I don't, uh, I mean, I, but here's the thing, Ian. Couldn't they, and this is a real Keynesian solution, right? So, and this is what I don't see the Democrats or the Republicans or anybody in the name of Keynes doing. To me, what needs to be done from a Keynesian position, and believe me, I'm not a Keynesian. This would be pathological. I'm not espousing it. My good friend Eric Coffin, who I had a, on a panel discussion here, would, would probably espouse this, but I don't. The idea is that you should uh, just, you know, sh- give, put money in the hands of the low-income people because their propensity to consume is 100%. You don't give it to Goldman Sachs because they're just going to buy gold or real estate in Argentina or someplace, those guys. So what you do to get the economy going is you hand out massive amounts of money to the individuals. Why wouldn't that work? I don't see any signs that they want to do that, Ian, but why would that not work? Because... First of all, they're not interested in in saving the individuals. They're only interested in saving the banks. You know, I mean, the Federal Reserve is owned by the banks. So the Federal Reserve's responsibility is to its owners, and it is going to, and that's why the banks have been bailed out. Um, So then they don't have any interest in in bailing out uh, mom and pop. They, you know, they've got to see that the banks don't basically go under. So I don't think that there's a snowball's chance in hell of that ever happening, Jay. You don't think that the, uh, yeah, but I, I don't doubt that. I mean, I, I'm I with mean, you on that one. What we're uh, saying really, Jay, is the the Keynes approach has failed. Well, it has failed, but has it? But my question to you: Has it really been tried? And has the theory has the theory really been put to work? Uh, and I know that you know Ron Paul, who's been on this show already, is an inflationist. He thinks that the that the mechanics are in place that they can easily do this. My argument with uh, you know against that is exactly what you're saying. That in fact, why would they do that? The Federal Reserve is owned by the banks. They're there to protect the banks. If I'm a creditor, why would I want to see uh, my debts melt away? The the value of those debts melt away in an inflation. Right. I mean. They failed. I mean, you know, the thing is, there's a very simple solution. I mean, we keep looking at how they might be able to inflate, okay? The thing is, Jay, you're either an inflationist, you're looking for sort of solutions that you think might work, but you don't ever, by pushing money into people's hands, ever sort out the debt problem, and that's the problem. And the thing is that uh, if you, you know, truly... You know, we're in deflation right now. We see that from the money supply numbers. If you truly believe that they can turn this around where, you know, the 13 point whatever trillion dollars of consumer debt uh, isn't going to be taken out of the system, then, you know, and they're just going to put, fuel the consumers with more and more money, uh, it, it isn't going to happen, Jay. Because that debt is coming going to have to come out of the system so that we can start a, a, a refreshed economy on built on savings. Right. Well, that's I have no doubt about that, Ian, and I, and I certainly don't believe, uh, certainly as an Austrian, I don't believe that the Keynesian solution is, would, would do anything. I'm just only arguing that I don't think they've fully, fully put to, uh, to practice the theory, the Keynesian theory, which is to get money in the hands of the, the people with the highest propensity to consume. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, if you handed money to poor people around the country, they'd go out and spend it. I mean, Ian uh, McAvity uh, likes to talk about dropping, you know, dropping helicopter drops on Walmart uh, parking, parking lots, you know, to give it to the lower uh, middle income, middle income, lower p- uh, income people the chance to spend it. There's no doubt in my mind they'd go out and spend and let it rip, but 
again, the debt wouldn't go away. That's your argument. Well, how, how, how many drops do you have to do? How many drops? <laughs> yeah, tri- I mean, trillions so of dollars. Everybody goes in and buys a flat of, you know, screen TV, and that's that spending, you know, all those dollars of uh, spent. Right, and, and uh, most people have their flat Do you have to drop it every week? And, what's that? Do you have to drop money every week? Well, maybe so. And the argument that John Williams and others have is that you, you're looking at this $202 trillion total debt, uh, present valued, as, as Professor Kotlikoff talks about, and you're saying, well, um, you know, people, there's no way that that can be paid. They're going to have to just print money and hand it out to people. And Ron Paul says, well, we've got the mechanism in place. All you have to do is just, you know, credit people, get, send them checks, and uh, put it in their bank account, and they can go spend it. Uh, and, 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 you know, I don't believe that's going to happen in, for reasons that you talk about, that is, that the Federal Reserve is there to protect the banks, not the people. I mean, the, the idea that you put the, cho- the, uh, the, the, uh, the fox in charge of the chicken coop, of course, is what they've done. Uh, the fox is hungry. He's not going to let the chickens out. So I, I'm, I'm with you on this argument. I'm just playing devil's advocate a little bit. I'm trying to, I'm trying, you know, I, I think it, I think yeah. it's such a, to be honest with you, I think yeah. it's such a, a uh, uh, kind of a phony argument. Yeah. That, you know, everybody's looking for answers to get the get the system going again. Yeah. And so they're looking for a helicopter band to ha- you know have his way and drop all this money down and so on. But the the point is, it's the debt. We have got to yeah. get rid of the debt. You, you just by creating money, you don't get rid of the debt. Yeah. That consumer debt, that $13.9 trillion of debt, is still on the books at the banks. Right. Okay, and, right. The, and, the, and those consumers, you know, a lot of them can't pay it back. Right. Right, we know that because they're being forced out of their homes because they can't pay the mortgages. All right, Ian, I want to switch gears just a little bit. I'm, I'm with you on this. I, honestly, I'm a believer uh, in this inevitability of, of the credit collapse uh, because of what you're saying. I mean, the debt cannot be repaid. Uh, and, and every time they try to do it, I mean, all these bubbles have been created to plaster over the other one. It does never allow the debt to be taken, washed out of the system. And what you're saying is they're going to push this thing to the point where it can no longer be uh, inflated. You can no longer inflate another bubble. Are we there yet? We're already, the bubble has burst. We're seeing it. Debt is coming out of the system, Jay. The bu- right. debt bubble is now beginning its collapse. And that is going to take down the creditors and the debtors. So both sides are going to be hurt. We've already taken down the banks once. They were all effectively bankrupt, but uh, bailed out. Goldman Sachs was bailed out. They've all been bailed out, but they're going to go again. But no. they've been bailed out with, with credit or debt money, I like to call it, and that debt hasn't gone away, has it? No. So we just add, we keep adding more and more debt right? Uh, and, and in the hope that somehow the, the same but, thing that caused the problem will cure it. But we're not adding debt, okay? In effect, the, the debt, the debt of the United States peaked, the total debt, and I'm talking about consumer, corporate, government debt uh, peaked, uh, let me just see here, Jay, I'll give you the exact, it peaked in quarter one, 2009. The total debt at that time was $56.9 trillion, total U.S. debt, okay? It is now 
coming down. The only debt that is increasing, everything is now coming out. Like consumer debt is dropping, financial debt is dropping, corporate debt is dropping. The only thing debt that is increasing is the federal government debt, and that is going up massively. Okay, Ian, you said quarter one of 2009, is that what you said? Yeah, the total okay, debt in the United States. Bear Stearns, right? Before Bear Stearns, right? $56.9 trillion, yeah. And that was right, that was basically before Bear Stearns, and then later in the year we had no, Lehman Brothers. No, no, that, no was, that, was um, that was after, really. Oh, okay, okay, so we had Lehman Brothers, that was 2008, wasn't it? Right, Lehman Fund yeah, in 2008. 2008. So then, then the pump, pump more money into the system, which then caused it to peak in the qu- first quarter of 2009. That was a reaction to the Lehman Brothers collapse, no doubt. Right. And now, what, since then, what you're saying is we're seeing a decline in the total amount of debt. It, in the total U.S. debt, we're seeing a decline, but that decline is coming on the corporate consumer and financial sector debt, but the U.S. government debt is increasing and increasing dramatically. All right, so who, so who is buying that? Are the Chinese still buying that debt? Well, I think the Federal Reserve is buying a lot of it through so quantitative easing. So you call it quantitative easing, right? easing. It's what they use, the fancy term for printing yeah. money. Yeah. So the, the Federal Reserve is essentially buying the bonds from the banks, crediting the banks with the money, and then the banks are, I think, playing in the stock market. Ian, we've got about four minutes to break here. Uh, I have to ask you about the equity markets. Where do you think we're heading? Uh, do you think we've seen we've seen a bounce back off the lows, off the March uh, 2009 lows? Uh, have we seen the, the peak on the bounce back, the B wave up, if you will? I think if we haven't, we're very, very close. But don't forget, I'm absolutely convinced, and I've written a paper on this, that the plunge protection team, you know, is is very active in the market. I mean, Greenspan is on record as saying that, uh, you know, that they have to keep the stock market up because that's, if you can show, the, the you know, there are like 60% of Americans are are in, in invested in the market, either through mutual funds or through their own accounts or in their retirement accounts and so on. So, we have to that wealth has to be shown to the the Americans that it's not uh, being depleted. So I'm pretty sure that the plunge protection team is is active in the markets, trying to trying to make, hold up the values, in spite of a you know an economy that's obviously you know essentially in a free fall. Um, so I don't know when, and I'm a big believer in natural law, as you know, Jay, and I believe yeah. that all markets are governed by the natural law. They're the, you know, because of the, essentially it's the, the crowd that makes the decisions in, in the markets, the, the crowd of investors. And um, so the, I, I think eventually these markets are going to have to reflect the reality of the economy and uh, are going to go down significantly. Okay, and you think we're we're pretty close to that time? I think I think we are. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, Ian, we only have a few more minutes left. I'm going to expand this just a couple more minutes. So, I, I've got to talk to you about gold. I've been saying this is the buying opportunity of a lifetime. I'm you know I'm old enough to have been through the the last bull market in the 1970s. We saw a nice run up for junior gold mining companies. You know, companies that didn't deserve to sell for 15 or 20 bucks were selling for those kind of numbers. I believe this thing is far bigger. We're having a, our next guest, uh, Scott Drever, uh, with Silvercrest, is a new gold and silver 
mining company in Mexico is just one example of many new gold mining companies that are starting to produce. We're seeing profits rise very dramatically. We're seeing the real price of gold rise dramatically, as Bob Hoy points out, and Bob will be our guest next week to talk about that, I'm sure, and many other things. But what do you, how do you make the case? I know you're as bullish as I am about gold mining companies. Are you not? I am, Jay. I'm very, I'm very, very bullish. I've been invested in, uh, you know, in the in the gold mining, and particularly in the junior uh, arena, since essentially 1999. I've been in gold stocks, and and 100% of uh, of my investments uh, in in my investment accounts have been in these junior uh, gold mining stocks, and principally gold mining uh, to some extent, to a small extent, silver. And you know the returns have been outstanding, and and I think, as you say, that we're only uh, well, we're we're in at least halfway through the game right now, I think. But there's still the biggest move always comes towards the end of the game, and um, that move is yet to c- come to us. So, and, you know, what's the price of gold going to be? Well, I'm I've gone on record saying I think it's going to be four thousand. Um, dollars, but it could be infinitely more. I mean, given the credit crash that I see happening here, the run to own gold is going to be, uh, you know, uh, massively occurring worldwide. And uh, therefore, the gold price, you know, that we only produce a very small amount every year from our mining operations. So the gold price is going to go rise dramatically as people really get scared about what's occurring. We know that that same kind of thing happened in the 30s, Jay. You know, everybody turned to gold. Uh, a lot of capital was raised to explore and uh, put uh, explorations into into production in the 30s. I mean, people forget that. In 1940, according to the U.S. Bureau of Mines, there were 9,000 operating mines in the United States. So we know that the money was just flowing into that sector because people were so frightened by everything else. And we can see the same thing happening again this time. So, yeah, I'm very bullish on these juniors, and uh, I think uh, they're going to do exceptionally well, you know, as as the price of gold rises. And I see it's up about $14 right now. Well, thank you, Ian. You know, we're we're just out of time now, but I I do need to ask you, uh, tell listeners, uh, tell our listeners how they can follow your work, and uh, they can subscribe. Also, you have a paid-for service now. I think that's that's very worth people considering. Tell people how they can uh, follow your work. From well, you. our website is uh, uh, longwavegroup.com, and they can go there. There's you know there's a lot of information there for non-subscribers. Um, you know, some of the written work you know that I put there is are what I call Ian's insights and. Um, it's on the site, but the the main features are, are uh, basically given to the subscribers only. Okay, excellent, Ian. Well, thank you very much for that, folks. We're going to go to a break now. Uh, we're going to have Scott Drever coming back. I want to thank Ian Gordon for being with us again and for giving us his insights. Thank you very much, Ian. Folks, we're going to go to a break now. Scott Drever of uh, Silvercrest Mines will be back with us to talk about his company's progress as he uh, uh, as they have started production. We'll be right back with Scott Drever. Stock, 
stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.com. CA for further information. Solidan Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.solidan.com to learn more. Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green-tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A-Capital.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, as Ian Gordon was saying, uh, he agreed with me, my thesis, that, we, that this is the buying opportunity of a lifetime for gold mining shares. Uh, and I say that because the real price of gold is rising very dramatically, 
And so I'm very pleased to have companies that are sponsors. Primarily the sponsors to this show are gold mining companies, and I'm very happy about that because I think in general these companies are going to do very, very well over the next number of years. And one company that I am very bullish on, and it is also a recommendation in my newsletter, uh, is Silvercrest Mines, and I'm very pleased to have with me Scott Drever. He is the president and CEO of that company. Silvercrest Mines trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol CVL. Over-the-counter in the U.S., you can buy it uh, under the symbol STVZF. About 60.2 million shares outstanding, uh, $1.31 the last I looked, uh, with gold up over $1,300 today. I don't know. Maybe that number has changed. But the market cap of around $80 million, let's say. So anyway, welcome, Scott, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Jay, thanks very much uh, for having me back again. It's always a pleasure. It's really good to have you now. I don't know uh, your share price. We saw the price of gold rise uh, decisively above $1,300 today. It stuck above there. It was actually 1311 I think somebody told me, on the cash market. But uh, your shares, uh, did they react to today's move at all? Uh, we saw some reaction. Uh, I think we closed at about $1.34, $1.35, somewhere there. Okay. And, um, but we've, we've seen a steady growth uh, in our share price for, for some time now. So... Uh, we've been going at it gradually rather than spiking. Well, rightfully so. I mean, that's a better way to go anyway. Uh, I know that when we first talked to you, had first had you on the show, you were a lot less, uh, your share price was a lot lower. I'm thankful to say I had the insight to pick you up and put you in my newsletter before you got to where you are now. Of course, we've had a very uh, a good gold market. But that said, you know, not all companies that are going into production do as well as you're doing. Uh, some companies have hiccups along the way. Uh, you might have some too. I would I would suggest, and most subscribe, most uh, listeners maybe are not that familiar with with the gold mining industry. Realize that it is a tough business. It's really uh, very the science and the engineering that go into building a successful gold mine. It's not kid stuff, and it's usually very. There's always some hiccups along the way. But you now are moving forward, I guess, pretty successfully. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about the Santa Elena project? Uh, that's a mine in Sonora that you just started pouring gold and silver there, I believe. Could you just talk about that, maybe the economics and the prospects for that project? I'd uh, be delighted to. We uh, we picked up the Santa Elena project uh, about uh, four and a half years ago, and it was a, a start-from-scratch sort of deposit. Uh, we did the, the drilling and outline on it. We did pre-feasibility study on it and committed to uh, production uh, probably, oh, nine months, 12 months ago. And uh, we poured our first dory, as you said, uh, early in this month, I think it was September 9th, that we poured our first uh, bars of, of gold and silver. And uh, we are quite quite proud of ourselves, in, in fact, that we were able to go from almost a dead stop to, to production in uh, just under four and a half years. That is, a, it, it is quite uh, speedy, given the... the uh, permitting and things that you have to go through to bring one of these things on stream. Um, we budgeted about $20 million for construction of this particular mine. Uh, we came in on schedule and under that budget, um, and um, uh, <clears throat> we expect to uh, work out the, the bugs and wrinkles that always uh, arise on one of these things, as you pointed out, Jay, uh, over the next couple or three months. And uh, we expect to hit our, our full production uh, uh, levels uh, by the end of the year. Um, 
that would bring us up to uh, an annualized uh, production of about 35,000 ounces of of gold and about 150,000 ounces of silver. Okay, Okay, so uh, as I understand it, I think the target was something like if you take the silver credits towards the gold production, your cost would be for that 35,000 ounces about $375. Is that still a number that's that's, uh, in the in the ballpark? Yeah, that's very close on a on a life of mine average um for the open pit portion of of this deposit. Uh the initial years will be a little less than that probably in the order of 275 to somewhere in that range uh because of the lower strip ratios and things that we encounter first off, but in either case the margins against the uh, the price of gold and silver today are, are extraordinarily good, and that that obviously goes to the profitability of of this particular particular mine. Mm-hmm. You have, um, uh, you know, the thirty five thousand ounces is not a lot of gold. Of course, if you look at uh, six hundred thousand ounces of silver, what does that do in terms of gold equivalent? Then, more or less. Um, if you put it into to gold equivalents, that would be probably 45,000 ounces of gold equivalents, uh, which, as you say, in, in the gold space is, is not a huge number. If one were inclined to look at it from a silver production uh, point of view, uh, that puts us, I think, almost at 2 million ounces which if you look at the the uh, intermediate or medium-sized silver producers, that becomes a significant number. So uh, I guess it depends a little bit on, on what your preference is because this this is uh, uh, almost a, a gold mine and or a silver mine, depending on, uh, on which way you convert the two precious metals. That's uh, sort of an interesting way to play it then because a lot of people might, like to have both, so you could have both both metals in the, in their portfolio if they buy your your shares. Uh, Scott, I, my view is that uh, your financier, the company that came in and financed this project, uh, provided that twenty million in capital that you needed, a little less than that. You're telling me to get into production is Sandstorm, uh, a public company, also a company that I have a very high regard for because of the management. Uh, the management of this company came from uh, Silver Wheaton. Uh, and um, and and they're very very you know very successful. But I know one of the things they look at uh, when they before they commit money to a project is what is the upside potential, what is the exploration potential, and I have to think that uh, Sandstorm probably believes that you have considerable exploration potential to grow those ounces from thirty five thousand to something bigger than that. Do you have any comments on that? Yes, absolutely. The uh, the Sandstorm Group. Uh uh were part of the financing package as was Macquarie's bank and both of these groups have have very strong technical uh, uh components to them that do extraordinarily detailed due diligence and you're absolutely right that one of the things that they look at is the the potential for expansion and or a longer mine life uh we talk about uh, at at Santa Elena all of the numbers and things that are presented in the public arena right now are uh, on the basis of what is open, uh, mineable by an open pit method and a heat leaching of, of that ore. Uh, in addition to uh, the open pit, we have an underground component where we have about 300,000 ounces of, of gold equivalent outlined in, in inferred resource. And... Um, 
and we have three or four parallel zones to this main zone that, that we're in production now. So uh, Sandstorm and Macquarie, we're looking at to, uh, how those might develop over the, over the next five or ten years. And we ourselves have <clears throat> embarked on a, on a process of evaluation that will tell us how we can schedule the underground uh, uh, resource that we know is there and how we can bring a, a satellite uh, deposit into play if we put in a, a commercial, uh, or sorry, not a commercial, but a conventional uh, milling operation. Uh, we will be able to feed those uh, ore sources into the conventional mill and uh, get our target production up to probably plus or minus 100,000 ounces of uh, gold equivalent over the next few years. So we're looking at that expansion uh, of the Sandalena production over and above the open pit. We think we can recover a huge amount of metal out of the, uh, the heap leaches once they're, they're depleted uh, by using a conventional mill to increase the recoveries. We can get additional um, ore from underground, and that underground portion is still open on strike into depth. And so we're looking at this uh, ultimately. Uh, we're fairly comfortable on the basis of the resources and things we see now that uh, we can we can get to the million ounce uh, gold equivalent targets that we that we have in mind. Okay, so you're uh, basically should be able to to grow your company then uh, from internal cash sources and not necessarily need to issue more shares. That's certainly certainly a possibility. It depends a little bit on on how fast we want to go forward and develop these sure. things. Uh, it depends a little bit too on some of the other things that we're looking at uh, for growth strategy. You know, we're looking at other properties all the time. Uh, we're looking at other corporations that might make sense uh, to to acquire or to amalgamate with in order to give us a a bit more critical mass in the in the gold and and or silver space. Scott, I know that the Santa Lina is your flagship uh, property, but I believe you do have a couple more if you'd like to just comment on those quickly. Sure. Um, we have Cruz de Mayo, which is a, a project that is not far. It's a, about 60 or 80 kilometers from, uh, from Santa Elena. It's 15 million ounces of silver. Uh, would be an open pit situation, fairly high grade, about four ounces, I think it is. And we could uh, contemplate bringing that high-grade ore over to Santa Elena and putting it through through um, a conventional mill there. Uh, on site at Santa Elena, there are we know of at least three parallel zones. We will be drilling one of those uh, later next month, and we'll see whether it comes up in the in a similar uh, vein as to what Santa Elena, the main zone, is. We have also been looking at numerous uh, projects that catch our eye where people have, have made the discoveries, looked at it from a different perspective than perhaps we do and have walked away. Uh, we acquired recently a, a new project in Durango. Uh, we've done the preliminary sampling and that sort of thing on it that has come back at sort of four ounces of silver and uh, a percent or two of copper at surface and we expect to be drilling that one later this year as well. 
Okay. Well, you certainly have a lot of things going on. I'm wondering uh, if you have a sense, you've got a market cap, as I mentioned, close to around $80 million, uh, a sense of how you stack up uh, compared to your peers, let's say other companies that, that might be. And maybe it's hard to make a, a judgment like that because you are a mixture between gold and silver. Maybe it's hard to find peers. But let's say if you consider yourself more of a silver company uh, with 2 million ounces of silver, how do you stack up market cap compared to some of the others? Um, yeah, I think most everybody you look at has has a mix. Uh, we are a little unique in that our mix is purely gold and silver. Some of the others have base metals mixed in with their with their equivalents. But if you look at uh, <clears throat> similar resource profiles, similar reserve profiles, and similar production profiles, I think you'll find that that those companies will be. Um, in the order of 150 to 250 million in market cap and above. So I really don't have any qualms about uh, believing that we will we will get to those market caps as we become uh, better known and the performance of Santa Elena in terms of cash flow uh, supports the value that uh, that that we should see in the market. Well, I certainly believe that's right once you start performing. Getting into commercial production, have the bugs worked out, have some nice cash flow coming, especially if you're able to do it at those sort of cost numbers that we just talked about, a $375 gold equivalent. Uh, with $1,300 gold, that uh, the, the listeners can do their arithmetic and figure out a little bit what kind of cash flow you might be having if you can hit those numbers. Uh, and I sort of have a, a pretty high level of confidence that you can. Sandstorm guys obviously think this answer the good that you can. Could you tell, Scott, uh, your website so people can follow your company's progress as we before we go to break? Yeah, our website is www.silvercrestmines.com. Excellent. Silvercrestmines.com, folks. Uh, be sure to check in with uh, Scott and his company and the progress they're making. I think it will be well worth your time and a few clicks of the mouse. Thank you very much, Scott, for being with us. And folks, don't go away. I'll be back with some closing thoughts on the markets today. Don't go away. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I've got my friend and uh, colleague and partner, Chen Lin, with me. I just want to make a very quick comment on Metanor. I've gotten uh, some emails from people. Obviously, a lot of listeners to this show have uh, purchased a Metanor stock. And, and I want to just say that there's uh, some people that are suggesting that uh, perhaps because they've been a sponsor of this show, I've thrown them some softballs, have been very easy on them. And, in fact, uh, one person has even gone so far to suggest that I've hidden certain things from you because of uh, my because of Metanor's sponsorship to this show. Well, nothing could be further from the truth, folks. Now, the company came out with a lower resource number, a lower average grade. That's true. But I couldn't have known that until the 43101 was out. So to, to try to suggest that I, that I knew something and wasn't telling you is just, it's just wrong. I'm, I'm sorry to say, and I'm, it really bothers me that people are, are accusing me of, of wrongdoing and uh, you know, not telling you the truth. I don't know any more than you know. It's a market... Uh, it's it's what comes out in the public domain that I'm allowed to talk about, allowed to think about, and allowed to factor into my thinking. So let's put that one to rest. I do believe in Metanor's long-term prospects, uh, prospects as much as ever. They're having some difficulties, but um, we'll talk more about Metanor, of course, in the future in this show. Uh, if uh, Whether or not they come in as sponsors, I'm going to commit to you on that. But And also in my newsletter, of course, I'll be talking about Metanor. Now, we only have a couple of minutes, and I've got Chen here. Chen, we saw gold rise above $1,300 today. What do you think? Where is gold going, and how long is it going to stay up there? Yes, uh, it not only rise above 1300 it closed above 1300 and decisively. And also, it was, it was after it dropped $20, and, you know, at midnight. I mean, when we were sleeping, I woke up, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I checked, wow, go down 20 bucks. I said, well, today is a takedown day. But it, gold was so strong, uh, it's actually just shake off all the beers and all the over the weekend of, of gold. So I see gold goes uh, much higher. Uh, probably the trader looking to add into position to the end of the quarter, which is on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So I believe we should have some fantastic days ahead. Uh, my plan naturally to, to lock in a little bit profit, trim a little bit positions uh, when you know all the fund managers busy buying on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday. Right. Okay, Chen. Well, uh, and you're, you're still very high on Oceana. I think it's probably your top pick. Yes, yeah, I'm very high on Ocean and many other gold. I have a very long list now. Yeah. And I think all of them should do quite well. And the silver is breaking out very, very hard. And the silver, I have a quarterly in and Alesco as well as the gold and mineral. Both are, all, all three are doing extremely well. 
Well, those are really great names, Chen. I want to thank you for the insights that you've passed along to our listeners here as well. We're really out of time. I've got to say goodbye for this week, folks. Uh, I want to thank, again, you for listening to the show. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show uh, financially viable. I want to mention that next week our guest is going to be Bob Hoy. Bob Hoy, who brings a, 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 a historical perspective onto the gold markets, much like Ian Gordon, actually different than Ian, a, a really different perspective, but a historical perspective that I think is very, very valuable. It's been very, very helpful to me. In closing, I want to thank our staff at Voice America for making this show logistically possible, starting with my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer. All of you, thank you very, very much for making this show logistically possible, and thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't real.